You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, and we are proud to be partnered with Interstate Batteries. If you haven't visited your local Interstate Battery retail store to talk with a specialist about all your battery needs, you need to stop in. They have everything from batteries for your trail cameras, batteries for your rangefinders, batteries for your trucks, and everything in between. Uh, they have a battery for it. You can also go to find out more about the company and more about the batteries that they offer to interstatebatteries.com. This is a great company, a trustworthy company that has been around for several, 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 several years. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Parker McDonald. This is episode number 50. Today, we're talking about Florida public land deer hunting with our buddy Nick Chandler of Florida. We're going to talk about how he has been successful already this season multiple times in the woods there on public land in the state of Florida, as well as a very interesting story that happened to him on the biggest buck of his life. Stay tuned. This is the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. I'm excited to be here today. It has been, it feels like it's been a while since we recorded a podcast, even though I know it hasn't. Um, Today, I'm really excited about the episode because we're talking to Nick Chandler of Florida. And if you know me, if you've listened to the podcast much at all, you know that I have a little bit of of an infatuation with hunting in Florida. And anytime somebody tells me that they were successful on public land in Florida, it really gets me fired up because I have hunted Florida once and realized that it was probably one of the more difficult states in the United States to hunt. And when I hear guys who are getting it done out there, it really fires me up. Um, they're obviously doing something right. And our buddy Nick today has had multiple encounters with really good bucks uh, on public land already this year. And right now we're sitting, it's uh, it's October 9th as I'm recording this, and he has already been successful several times in the woods and uh, there's a really good story in this and and I don't want to give it away um, and it can't be talked about too terribly much but um, it's really interesting and it's somewhat controversial of a of a situation that happened with Nick on the biggest buck of his life and uh, it just happened I think last week so uh, we're going to talk about that just a little bit as much as we can there's still some things getting hashed out on it and I'm sure he'll tell us all about that Um, if you don't hear anything about it it is because uh, he told me beforehand, I haven't recorded this episode, by the way. Um, so I'm about to record with him here in just a few minutes. And, uh, he, he told me that he may not get to talk about it because there's some, some legal things with, uh, with w- uh, just a situation that happened. And so if we don't get into that, it is because it wasn't allowed. And, uh, but I'm telling you about it now, just in case we do talk about it because it's, it's super interesting. And I think you guys will enjoy it. So, um, we're in the middle of deer season now. Uh, Alabama has not opened yet. I'm going to Kentucky tomorrow. Um, as I'm recording this, I'm going, not Kentucky. I keep saying Kentucky. I don't mean Kentucky. I mean, Tennessee, going to Tennessee tomorrow. And, um, really excited about that. I have not been in the woods since I missed the deer a couple weeks ago. And so I've been kind of jonesing a little bit. My wife gave me the okay to go to Tennessee tomorrow. So I'm going to get up about 1:30 in the morning. That is less than 12 hours from now, and uh, I'm going to go deer hunt. So it's going to be a good time. 
Hopefully we get some video of that. If anything exciting happens, you can check it out on the Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Um, man, thank you guys so much who have already subscribed to that channel. It's growing rapidly. Um, right now it's growing by about 350 subscribers per month, which is pretty stinking cool. And that's all you guys, and I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much for checking that out. As always, you can check us out on Facebook at Southern Ground Hunting and on Instagram at Southern Ground Hunting. If you want to know more about what's going on in the world of Southern Ground Hunting, it is uh, uh, about to get fired up. It's about to get started heavy. Um, next week is the opening week of Alabama season, and we're, we're going to be in the woods as much as I possibly can be, and uh, I'm pretty excited about it. So that is going to be about it. Let's get into this episode with Mr. Nick Chandler. All right, on the line now, I've got uh, my buddy Nick Chandler from Florida, who has had a killer season already. We're sitting here on October 9th, and he's already got a ton of stories to tell. Uh, Nick, how's it going, buddy? Good, Parker. How you doing, man? Man, I'm doing good. I'm really excited to talk about your season because uh, just in our few Facebook messages that we've had, um, man, it sounds like you've had a, a, a heck of a season already. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes, sir. That's that's for sure. That's cool, man. That's cool. So, um, Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're at, um, kind of your style of hunting, and I don't know, just whatever you feel like is necessary for our listeners to know who Nick Chandler is. Okay. Well, like you said, my name's Nick Chandler. I'm from Central Florida. I live in a little town called Umatilla. Lived here my whole life as far as the Central Florida region. I, uh, I'm a carpenter, welder by trade for a restaurant company out of Orlando. Been there for about 10 years. Um, I'm an avid bow hunter, deer hunter in general, uh, fisherman. Just about anything outdoors. Got a big passion for whitetail, and uh, as you know, down here in Florida, the whitetail uh, they're a whole different animal. Yeah. But uh, definitely, uh, anytime from the mid-September to January, February, that's usually what I'll be doing. Something you know, deer hunting related. Um. Yeah, I mean that's. That's all you need to as know. Far as I, I mean, can. that's <laughs> all anybody needs to know. I like to deer hunt. That's. That's pretty much everybody who we have on this podcast. That's pretty much what it ends with. And I like to deer hunt. That's about it. Um, so, so yes, Nick, sir. are you from Florida originally? Yes, sir. Wow. Born in Apopka, Florida. Okay. So, um, man, so like, that's the thing about Florida. Like my wife, so my wife is from Florida and a lot of our listeners know that that's why I've hunted Florida a little bit and I plan to hunt it a whole lot throughout the rest of my life. Um, but in Florida, finding guys like yourself who are as hardcore, um, into this style of deer hunting. Now I say this style because there's several different styles. You've got dog hunters in mm -hmm. Florida. Um, you mm -hmm. have got, you know, the weekend warrior type deer hunters in Florida. And then you have the hardcore deer hunters that are like yourself, um, who are, you know, paying attention to, um, things like the hunting beast or 
um, even like saddle hunting that's coming out. Just those hardcore guys who are the majority of the guys that are listening to this podcast are those kind of guys. And there's there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of those types of hunters that I mentioned. Um, but how did you, Nick, get into this style? What was your what was your evolution as a deer hunter from a, a when you first started? Well, I mean, I, I've been around in or around it ever since I could say I was probably before I was born. <laughs> uh, I mean, I've just always just had, it just always intrigued me just, just the deer in general as I was a kid watching my dad bring them home, you know, getting to touch them and, and, and experience the whole, you know, dressing process and everything like that. And, uh, it, you know, I grew up dog hunting, you know, it was a big family tradition of mine and actually still is with a lot of my family members. Uh, aunts, uncles, all, you know, cousins, they all still run the woods up in Ocala and that, in that area running dogs. And and it's, it's, and that's a fun, you know, that's a fun deal in itself, but we kind of, me and my dad kind of evolved into some steel hunting years ago. I was probably about, you know, 10, 12 years old, just started doing a lot more steel hunting and getting a lot better quality deer. And then as I got older, I kind of got out of it for a while, as I'm sure a lot of us do. Um, you know, you have start having kids and, and, and going through that stage, but then, well, let's, let's about talk about that. Soon. So, so my stage, my stage was trying to find a, a, a girl worth marrying. That's when I got out of it. And I know <laughs> a lot of guys, like you get into that, like older high school and college age. And it's like, I'm going to stop deer hunting because I've got to find a good lady. And that's, that was right. kind of my deal. That was when I stopped. <laughs> Right. Yeah, that, that was kind of just something else. Yeah, it was, it was, that was a little bit more interesting at the time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wonder why that is. I wonder what changes yeah. in our mind. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you never know. Uh, but yeah, you know, eventually, I, you know, I, I think it was one day my dad had a, 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 a quota hunt and he's like, oh, son, you want to go for, you know, it had been, I don't know, six or seven years. And I said, yeah, sure, dad. You know, so I ran to Walmart and I got, you know, just whatever I needed because I hadn't been in so long. I didn't have any clothes. I didn't have anything. Any, <laughs> so I ran a grab a backpack, some clothes and just a, you know, a grunt tube. And, uh, you know, luckily I still have O from several years ago, but, uh, you know, so we went and it was the first morning a doe and a little buck came in and then I ended up getting a decent shot on her and then out jumps this monster buck chases her off as she runs. I'm like, man, and that just, got me right back into it just yeah. just reeled me right back in <laughs> that'll do it that'll do it every time <laughs> that's for sure yeah i don't think i've seen a deer for three or four hunts after that <laughs> yeah <laughs> but it, but i wasn't giving up that's for sure <laughs> yeah dude that's that's pretty cool I, it always seems like it happens like that like um like so i used to be i used to be a golfer back when I was like younger in high school and stuff and I would not play for a really long time and then I'd get an itch and I'd go out and play golf and I would shoot my best round of golf ever and and I'd be like oh yeah I'm back into golf now and then I'd play again and I'd suck it up for the rest of the time then I'd quit that was kind of always how it worked (laughs) oh yeah for sure so you shoot this you shoot this uh doe so you shot a doe and a and a good buck that day no, 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 no. He he jumped out, and before I could get another arrow, okay, he was already gone. He was trying. He was trying to figure out where she went. He, <laughs> I didn't have enough time. I was too much. Uh, I was too starstruck at the moment. He was standing there. It took me three or four seconds to kind of get myself together. 
And right. he's like, oh, well, I need to get another arrow and try to shoot this thing. But he was already gone by then. Oh, wow. So, um, how... But just the experience in itself. Oh, dude. You see a big buck like that, and all of a sudden, like, that that passion, it just comes back every single time. Oh, yeah. It, 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 it'll sure. do it to you. So, at this point, how old were you right here in that at that point? I was about 24, 23, 24. 23, 24. And how old are you now? 29. 29. So, so this past whatever half decade, um, seven years, six or seven years has been just kind of devoted to getting better as a deer hunter. Is that what I'm hearing? Right. Pretty much. I mean, I, like I said, I got back into it and then it was like, you know, you're not, I'm not seeing much. It's kind of back to when I was younger, it's not seeing much, you know, typical Florida, you know, you don't see a whole lot majority of the time. And I just knew there's got to be a better way to figure these deer out. You know, there's got to be some type of pattern. There's got to be some type of easier way than lugging this heavy climbing tree stand around and not seeing anything majority of the time. And you talk to everybody, oh, you know, what'd you see? Oh, nothing. What'd you see? Oh, yeah, pretty much the same thing. Maybe his little doe came by. That's about it. So it's like, man, there's got to be a science to this. There's some kind of way I could figure something out. And then, you know, just coming across podcasts and, and, and videos, just trying to figure something out. You know, you got the beast and, and everything like that. And start trying to relay that to Florida. It's not going to be the same. But, you know, you can still kind of use some of the things to kind of help you get a better idea. And it's sure, and it, and it helps a lot. I mean, that's that's for sure. Yeah. And, you know, here's the thing is that, that you notice, um, and, I, and I've really been paying attention to this, uh, the more states that I hunt and kind of, thinking back to past hunts before I got into, um, this more, you know, I was raised in, I was raised in West Texas where you hunt over corn feeders and, and things like that. Like that's, that's just how I was raised. And, and not that that's bad. It's not, it's not wrong. It's legal there. And, and anytime I go back to Texas, there's a good chance I'm going to hunt over a corn feeder again. Um, but then you start, you start learning things, uh, about, about a whitetail and and while mm-hmm. they are a different animal you know from state to state they have different um i don't know their surroundings are different they are still the same animal mm-hmm. and a lot of times right. they'll do the same most of the time they'll do the same thing um because that's just that's just who they are as an animal i, I noticed um there is a there's a high fenced enclosure right close to where i work at and i pass by it every day and it's They've got like a 90 acre hunting preserve is what they call it. And, and across the road, they have like a, like a 14, 10, 10 or 15, something like that acre, uh, breeding pen in that. And you can see it from the road and it's got about, uh, 10 does in it and one just like giant 200 class, uh, two and a half year old is what the lady told me when I stopped and talked to her one day. And, uh, and you know, people who are listening to this have, have different opinions on all that stuff, but that's not really the point I'm trying to make. What I've noticed is when I, I, I drive by it and I, I make a point to drive by it as much as I can, because I don't care what kind of deer hunter you are seeing a 200 inch whitetail is amazing. No matter how he got to be 200 inches. Um, oh, yeah. it's amazing to see that guy up there. And what I've noticed is, is where he beds at, and you can see it just from the road. You can stop and pull over and watch him. The way that he beds is, is almost perfect for um, what we learn on the hunting beast as far as hill country 
tactics, the stuff that Dan is, um, you know, just really driving home. This buck will bed on like like two thirds up the way up this hill, on that on that mm-hmm. top third. He'll bed somewhere up there, and he'll look out over everything else that's below right. him. And right. I mean, and it's amazing to watch him. And he has. I would like to walk into that pen and find that bed in there. And and see how worn down it is because it's like every single time that I drive by there, he's bedded right there in that same spot. And and I say that to say that kind of what you said, you know, a lot of the a lot of the stuff that gets talked about by Midwestern guys is completely different from our style of hunting down here in the South. But mm-hmm. they will do similar things. And what you're doing right. when you do that when you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together is you're just learning, you're just learning whitetails, you're learning their habits and, and whether it's, you know, um, farm country or swamp or hill country or whatever it is, like they all can be put into a, um, the same category because they, they are still whitetail deer. And, um, so, so where you're hunting at there in Florida, you said it's central Florida. Yep. So is mm-hmm. it, are you mostly hunting like the swamps? Well, it's more or less, I, I hunt a lot of swamps, but usually I'm hunting just outside of swamps on transition areas or, or just trying to find other areas with, with a lot of food sources or, or a lot of plenty of cover is one of the biggest things. I mean, these big bucks around here, they're, <laughs> when you say skittish deer, you know, pressure deer, in Michigan, I, I just don't think it, I don't think they could be any more pressured than, or as far as smart and, and keen as they are down here. I mean, any little, it, it, it's, I've never seen anything like it. I mean, it, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I'm hunting a lot of open, but yet thick cover. Yeah. But as far as the swamp goes, the swamp, it just, when you get down in the swamp, it's, it, it doesn't, there's nothing to really funnel the deer in one specific spot i mean it's kind of like you sit all season you might see a few or you might get lucky and one might come by but it's kind of like mono woods where it's just it's just all the same there's not really anything drawing them to i mean you might find something in there somewhere a high high spot with a, a good oak tree or something like that but i have a lot more luck just just uh finding other areas on higher ground where they're they're gonna funnel and, and be up on the edge and, and you know and that kind of sort of thing yeah, and and the the truth is, is a lot of the a lot of the swamp uh, tactics that get talked about a lot are um, they're different than what what a southerner thinks of when when I think of a swamp I think of like gators Louisiana duck hunting territory like that's what I think <laughs> of and that's that's similar to what you're hunting you know around what you're hunting there whereas a lot of the a lot of the content that's being pushed out about swamps and marshes is is different than than what we're talking about and so a lot of our listeners and and believe it or not we have a a ton of listeners that are around michigan and um and it is easy to whenever like whenever i hear dan and fault talk about swamp bedding um i just have to understand that what he's talking about is a little bit different than what the swamp that we're talking about in the south actually is Mm -hmm. and so what you're what you're saying is something that I noticed big time whenever I was there is that, um, you know, a lot of those those big swampy areas, they don't offer anything for the deer other than, I mean, they mm-hmm. 
they don't really have a lot of bedding in it. Usually it's swampy, and so there's not a whole lot of understory to it. There's not a lot of browse because mm-hmm. nothing's been allowed to grow in there. And so a lot of what you're, a lot of what you're probably hunting is that high ground where stuff has the opportunity to to grow, you know. And the acres mm-hmm. have an opportunity to not fall straight into the water and rot <laughs> immediately. Exactly. Exactly. Exactly right. So what are some of the things that you have that you have really keyed in on? Obviously, that higher ground, drier ground. What are some other things that you've keyed in on that have added to your success there? Well, one big thing is just overlooked spots. I know that's talked about a lot. Um, and, and having a good mobile setup, because uh, 99% of people around me, they, they're using a climber. Majority, yeah. you know, majority everywhere. They're, they're, they're going to use a climber. There's so many straight trees here, but I've been able to find areas because, you know, it, the deer are going to be somewhere where everybody's not pounding the bushes and there's not going to be a lot of people in these areas where there's nowhere to put a climber or some easy stand just to throw up either a ladder stand or whatever. And they're not going to go very far off the road with a ladder stand. <laughs> um, but as far as having either a lock on, I started out using a lock on about two or three seasons ago and that just in itself put me on top of a lot more deer being able to just for one being more cover for two you know have a better setup not be trying to find the right tree and then i started hunting out of the saddle this past at the end of last season but then really tried to get into the saddle game this the beginning of this season and, and it's paid off quite a bit i mean that that alone has been has probably got me majority of the deer this year just being able to try to stay concealed behind the tree I mean, I mean, that, that's, yeah. that's, that's the ticket. Well, and you know, the thing about, the thing about the saddle is, is that, um, the, there's, there's multiple things. So you put saddle and lock on in, or hang on, or like the lone wolf style of stand. Um, they can put, be put in the same category in the fact that usually you can get in just about any tree that will support your weight. Um, right. the, the, my issues that I had with the lock on. Um, I had bought an XOP Vanish last year just to try it out. And uh, it was when I was waiting on my saddle to get here and I really didn't want to get my climber out. I didn't want to take it. So I bought this XOP Vanish and um, it was, there was nothing quiet about it for me. Um, There was nothing Mm -hmm. easy about it. By the time I got done hanging it and everything, I was, I was war slap out. Um, Oh yeah. And then (laughs) carrying it, was not way different than a climber. I mean, it the not. weight the weight of it was pretty much the same. The bulk of it was pretty much mm-hmm. the same. I wasn't getting the advantage of 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 that. And with the saddle, right. I switched to that. And I was, I mean, I remember in Florida. I went into Florida blind one one morning. Um, I had no idea where I was going. I had no idea what the lay of the land was. I just knew I was in Florida and I had a license. And I got, I put my saddle on and I just started walking and I ended up walking probably a mile and a half realizing this is just all swampy and I don't know how I'm even going to find a place to hunt. So I'll walk my butt back to the car and found another place. And <laughs> like, that was, that was what I did that morning. And, um, but it wasn't, if I had had my climber or something heavier on my back, dude, I would have probably wasted that whole morning. I would have just been like, screw it. I'm just going to hunt right here because I right. don't want to walk back to the truck and then try to find another spot with, with the climber, with the saddle. It was just what, that wasn't the case. 
And so, oh yeah, exactly. It it does give you an advantage. I mean, it's easy to say that it's just a, a tool, like a tool in the arsenal or whatever. Um, but I cannot think of a single situation where my mantis has not been a big part of the tactic tactics associated with my deer hunting style. Like it's huge. Oh yeah, for sure. It's huge. Definitely. Now, and there are some situations where a lock on, I can kind of get it into a little bit better situation as far as the tree and the setup and the amount of limbs and the cover and everything like that. But like you said, as far as the weight aspect to it, if you're especially not being familiar with the area, you're going in blind or you're just kind of doing a scout and hunt type situation, that, that, that's the ticket. I mean, that, <laughs> it doesn't get any better, any lighter than using a saddle. I mean, I mean, that's, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so use it, be, being more mobile. That's one of the things, mm-hmm. um, you mentioned transition areas uh, or like transition lines. Let's talk about that for a second. Right. Um, because yeah. where I'm at, a uh, transition line is going to look like hardwoods and a pine thicket. So that kind of line that goes from hardwoods to pine thickets. What are you, what are you kind of keying on there in Florida? Well, specific areas I like to hunt. It's got, I like to hunt a lot of like the, you got palm flats mm-hmm. where it's just nothing but like cabbage palms. And sometimes it'll be planted pines throughout the cabbage palms and hit hardwoods. And sometimes you can find like little corners that come up out of the swamp where the pine, like the planted pines kind of, they all kind of meet in one little corner and it just seems to just kind of draw the deer in, or there'll be old pond bottoms with, um, with uh, hardwoods that kind of come to points and they almost touch in the center and you'll find them coming back and forth between there. And, uh, I mean, and then every once in a while, if you can get two or three different types of, uh, terrain coming together, that, that, that there is, that's deadly. That can be deadly. I mean, if you can find some scrapes throughout the oak hammocks and stuff like that, usually there's stuff moving through there. Do you, do you find that those areas, um, are, are, I guess for me, so a, a transition line for me is when I'm, when I'm hunting them, I'm assuming if, if I haven't scouted the area, I'm assuming that they're going to be bedding in that thickest part of the transition. Are you, is that kind of why you do that? And those, those lines kind of funnel them out of their bedding into their next, whatever feeding or whatever they're doing. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, and as far as the bedding goes, when it comes to thick, I mean, just about everything can, in, in certain areas can be pretty thick and at least thick enough to bed in. But yeah, I mean, if you, I, I like to think that the, the more mature deer are going to be bedded in a little bit thicker areas. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, the, especially up in the, the cabbage palms and stuff like that, I've, I've witnessed a lot of them kind of just stand up and come out of there. Um, but yeah, definitely, definitely just, you know, you're never going to know exactly where they're going to be bedded. They can be bedded anywhere pretty much. But I try to keep the bedding in mind when it comes to wind and everything like that. Mm-hmm. Just try to at least make sure you got that on your side. So when you say cabbage palms, are you talking about like a palmetto flat type area? It, yeah, I, I guess I said cabbage palms, but yeah, I meant, no, I mean palmetto flat. You would the know. shorter, um, not very high off the ground. You could almost you usually just stand up and see somebody. You know what I'm saying? It's not it's not yeah. above your head, but a lot of times it might be above the deer's head, but they feel comfortable enough. I mean, and there's so many rovers around here with the with the cabbage palms and the and the pine trees. I mean, they're just about everywhere. Yeah, I, that so that's one thing that I noticed whenever I was there. 
um, the, the, the last day that I was there and I actually locked my keys in my car that day and it was just a entirely, just a terrible day, honestly. But, um, <laughs> it was my last day of hunting in Florida and I was there in central Florida on public land and the, the spot that I ended up finding was it was pines. There was a corner of pines and then some, I don't know. I really don't even know what they were. It was just like a really skinny, really, uh, branchy tree. Um, and it was Christmas time. So all the, the leaves were gone off of them. And I'm not sure what they mm-hmm. were, but there was swamp. It was like swamp, just water inside of it, mm-hmm. um, in those woods. And then on both sides of those, there was those palmetto flats or cabbage, cabbage palms, just that area that you're talking about. And, um, I didn't see anything that morning, but as I got down and started walking, um, I started really finding kind of what you're talking about to be true. I was finding this, these trails that were really crossing and and um, coming together right in those in those transition lines, right where everything was kind of meeting. And right, um, you know, and, and I think that's true, man. Like I think it's true for anywhere where you're at. You know, if you're in farm country a lot of your heaviest trails are going to be, you know, um, right where those fields meet the, meet the woods or when those thickets mm-hmm. meet, meet hardwoods. And then you, you just kind of have to figure out what it is for your area. So, you know, you're talking to a guy who right now I'm in North Alabama where my transition lines are going to be a whole lot different than yours, but <laughs> the, the truth still remains that, these animals, they like the most diversity that they can possibly get. Right. And mm-hmm. because each, each of those things offers the deer something different. Um, exactly. And they need all of those things. So finding those areas where those come together can be a really good spot for, for your setup. So, um, so that's kind of your style. I, w- I would imagine that that kind of covers a lot of the, the way that you hunt. Um, let's mm-hmm. talk about, let's talk about this season. Um, when does the season open up there in Florida or where you're at? It actually opened up, uh, September 14th in my zone. You know, see, uh, Florida has, I think four different zones mm-hmm. and, uh, my particular zone where I hunt majority of the time zone C and it opens, uh, September 14th okay. archery. Okay. And, uh, I had, uh, quota hunt for the following weekend and that was that was my first hunt this year okay it was, uh, it was in the local wma okay so so beginning of september or mid-september it is hot mm-hmm. i was uh i was in kentucky about that time <laughs> and it was freaking hot uh, i can imagine it was hotter in florida uh what were the temperatures like on that hunt well, we actually got lucky. We had sort of, uh, I say cool front. It was at four in the morning, three or four in the morning when we were out the truck about to get ready to go back there. It was in maybe 64, 65 degrees. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really good for mid September here. Yeah, I mean, but, but as the day goes, as the day goes on, I mean, it was in the nineties, I'd say midday or so, but I mean, then you got the humidity on top of that. I mean, you, you half the time you can't even sit there in a tree stand without sweating. <laughs> it's yeah. about impossible. Do you when find, you're covered in long sleeves. Oh dude, I know, I know all about that life. Do you find that the deer, um, like, you know, in a, in a place, let's just say a place like Kentucky where it does cool off. And, um, you know, once the, 
once the fall gets there, it's it's usually you know a good good hunting weather. It's comfortable and stuff. Um, in Florida, when I hunted there in December of last year, it was still freaking hot. Like they don't, mm-hmm. it doesn't ever really like get cold, cold, um, where I was at. And I can imagine right. where you're at. It doesn't, you don't really get those, those type, that type of weather often. Do you find that it affects the deer or that they just kind of are used to it? Obviously they're used to it cause that's what they've known their whole life. But does it, does it affect the way that they move? I think it does. I mean, from my experience, I'm not no expert, but I mean, <laughs> I mean, you definitely notice a big movement a change when, when, when the temperature drops and it does seem like you see a lot more deer in the more shaded areas or closer to river bottoms and stuff when it's hotter because the temperature is so much more, you know, it's a lot cooler down in there, mm-hmm. but the, the movement, the movement on these hot days, just, it's, it's, Sometimes I don't know how many sets I've sat and just seen nothing all day. I've done all day sets, midday sets, just in the, I mean, you just don't see a lot of deer during the day, but as soon as that sun goes behind that tree line, it's, it, <laughs> they're, they're definitely moving then. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. All right. So you, so you do this, this quota hunt. Let's talk about the, the first quota hunt that you did. Um, I guess mm-hmm. it was the weekend after the opener there. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, so you, is this one where you had to like put in super early or is it one, I know when I was there, the quota was just whoever gets the, whoever gets to the gate first and gets the, whatever the ticket to get in there. Um, no, yeah. Yeah. These are like the, this particular area, this is a, like a lottery draw that you okay. do have to put in the beginning of the year. And and they only have pass out so many permits. It's just, it's, it's a, it's like a, like a lottery system, like I was saying. And it was actually my cousin's permits. You could bring a guest on majority of the WMAs around here. Mm-hmm. You, you could bring, you know, you and a guest. So he decided to bring me and, uh, just a second. Thank you. And, um, we, uh, we had this trip planned out. We had some presets earlier in the season, set some cameras, stuff like that kind of had an idea I, I hadn't hunted this area a whole lot but the first morning went okay seen a few does and then i decided to move ended up finding a really good transition area with some where some a strip of oaks kind of went through the middle of some planted pines and kind of right into the swamp it had about 15 or 20 scrapes i had never seen anything like this in my life wow. <laughs> in one little area 15 or 20 scrapes all around these oaks so i decided to sit there in my saddle and I ended up having two good bucks come in on in the moonlight first morning I sat there. I mean, they were, I, I mean, I couldn't exactly see the rack. I mean, in the moonlight, it was about half moon, but they were definitely some, you know, a couple of good mature deer. And then I decided to sit there again the next morning and had a nice uh, 80 inch or so buck, which is a pretty good buck around here. Mm-hmm. And, uh, definitely. I got a pretty good shot off on him. He dropped too much, unfortunately, wasn't able to find him. But as I'm on the phone with my dad, telling him about it, I think it must have been five minutes after I shot this deer, a six-point comes walking through. I get off. Are you there? He walks out and stands in the spot of zero. We ended up shooting him, too. <laughs> yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, you broke out, like, Hello? right when you said a six-point came through. And... <laughs> And that was it. Okay. Sorry, man. Yeah, yeah. So it was about five or ten minutes after 
I shoot this pretty decent 80, 90 inch buck and he runs off. I mean, he, I mean, the craziest thing about this story is he, he dropped to the ground. I mean, it hit him on like, I want to say underneath the spine, like on the bottom side of the spine, he hit the ground. He's paralyzed. He was, he can only move like one leg. He's doing circles on the ground. I mean, I got this all on video. He was doing circles. And then all of a sudden he kind of starts crawling off and he gets up and trots off. I had never seen like, I'd never seen anything like that. Wow. Well, uh, so I wasn't sure if I was going to get this deer or not. So then here comes this little six point about five minutes later and he's standing right in the same shooting lane. I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> got to fill a tag somehow. Right. But, uh, ended up finding, he only went about 40, 50 yards that deer did, but never did find the other one. And that, that was the end of the first hunt. Actually, wow. my cousin did end up filling the other tag. He shot a pretty decent six point on, I think it was like the last night of that hunt. Wow. So, so it wasn't, it wasn't a bad one. So what, what are the, um, what are the, uh, laws as far as that goes in Florida? Can you shoot multiple bucks a day? Well, it depends on the management area. This particular management area had, uh, you could shoot two deer and it, it could be two does, two bucks or a buck and a doe. Just depends on what you want to do. Okay. But this one, yeah, yeah this one, we had two tags to fill. That's between uh, the two of us. That's pretty cool. So, so. So you kill this this six point on on the opening on the opening week or I guess the week after mm-hmm. the opening week and um, mm-hmm. and that's that's a that's a pretty big deal there in Florida. Um, I have a question about your quota though. So um, I've talked to another guy that's around that same area. His name's Peter Updike, and mm-hmm. um, we had a good conversation about this about how some of these quota hunts are they're 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 sought after and it makes you feel like just because it's a quota hunt um that you have a better opportunity of killing a deer but that's not always the case the reason there's a quota is because maybe it has less of a deer population and they're trying to protect that a little bit do you find that to be the case there or do you find it to be that those quota areas are usually the better hunts yeah i listened to that podcast which was a good one by the way um and and I don't know. I've always had really good luck on these quota permits. I mean, it is nothing like regular walk on is what we call it. it all you need to hunt and license. And, and, you know, you can go Ocala, Green Swamp, all those areas. Mm-hmm. The, these you actually have to draw the hunt for. They're always a lot better. There might not be as good as a deer population, but they're not near as pressured. Mm-hmm. And they're, and they're, um, yeah, they're just, I've always had a lot better luck on the, the quota hunts. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is, is is what is the pressure like on those on those type of hunts? It's it's more or less, I guess the best way to say it is it's it's small amounts of high pressure versus just steady pressure all season. Right. And in a way, it's good, and, and it can be bad for the, some of the good bucks because, you know, there's nobody there all year, then all of a sudden, bam, there's 50 people in this one area. Right. And they're like, okay, what's going on here? <laughs> you know, so, I mean, other than the occasional person that, that might scout here and there, but yeah. usually, you know, the day they, they allow you the day before the hunt to come in there and put stands up, you know, so there's a bunch of people running around putting up stands the day before the hunt and the deer are like, oh, well, we're going to get out of here now. Yeah. So that, yeah. that really, that kind of, it's kind of, it can be bad for you in a way. But. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um do they get do they let you go in and scout beforehand can you scout as much as you want yeah but majority of them um uh, one particular one that i hunt the gate's always closed so if you do and you hunt a particular area that's farther back you got a long hike or a bike ride to get back there yeah so it, i mean it can be you know 
some of them do allow you to, 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 to get a combination to the gate and you can actually drive in and scout, you know, anytime throughout the year. But some of them you have to just pretty much drive in from the front gate. Wow. Yeah, that's that's similar to what ours is. It, it, a lot of the places out here, you can scout, but they, they're going to close a lot of the gates off to where you can't really get, mm-hmm. get in there, which is which is fine. I mean, um, so it sounds like kind of what you did in this particular situation was – you used being mobile to your advantage. You weren't going in there and hanging ladder stands and all this stuff. You were being right. a mobile deer hunter, and it paid off for you. You found this area with all these scrapes and set up on it. Definitely. Just using the most recent info. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Trying to find the fresh line. Man, that's, that's the more and more that I get into this, and the more people that I talk to that are being successful like yourself on public land, Especially in these high high pressure areas, the ability to stay mobile has been the probably the most constant uh, or most common denominator that I've seen in in people who continue to be successful season after season. And um, and it sounds like to me, you know, your your certain scenario, um, man, it's a perfect example of in season scouting. You find an area, right. you and you set up on it as soon as you find it. And, man, it, I mean, what was that, like four four bucks that you saw that day or five? What, the first, in this first hunt? Well, yeah, well, I, I guess it wasn't that day. You you had two different sits on that. So you saw four or five bucks right. in that spot. Is that right? Uh, I think I've probably seen more than that throughout the two or three days I was in that area. I mean, I had four points, spikes come through just checking scrapes. Wow. Just stuff like that. But yeah, I, I would say yeah, five or six bucks in just that one little spot. Just and, and, and not only just being mobile, but being able to set up in just about any tree because you you might find a good spot, but only the only tree you can put a climber on, it's not good for your wind. Or yeah. you won't have a good shot advantage. You know, you pretty much just find just about just the perfect spot, right amount of cover, right amount of shooting lanes, good good on your wind and everything like that. That's that's the that's definitely the ticket. Wow. Man, that's that sounds like it was a good trip, but that's not uh the end of your season so far. Um let's talk about your next your next trip after after that one. So you shot your six point. What what did you do after that? Okay, yeah, I've had another archery hunt and another it's, this is a different WMA, not too far away from the uh previous one. It's actually an area that I hunt a lot. This is pretty much the main area that I hunt. I spend a lot and, and put a majority of my time into a lot of summertime scouting. And I have electric bike. And we're allowed to use those here, the pedal assist, mm-hmm. which helps a lot as far as the gate being closed issue. But I ride back there several times throughout. I mean, sometimes once a week. I mean, throughout the summer and the off season between shed hunting and, and just, to, just, just about anything. And I mean, I, I even got stands. I'll go, I'll bring stands and do, do like, uh, I'll even come go out there before daylight and sit and watch, just trying to figure out deer patterns, just try to see, you know, where they're, what they're feeding on, especially once it comes closer to the season, I'll try to just, you know, kind of do like a, what they say on the beast. It's, uh, uh, what do they call it? Um, observation sit. Yeah. Yeah. Observation. Just try to, just to try to see the deer movement and then see where they're moving through and then just get an eye on where the local, like the best food sources are, heavy uh, crossings and stuff like that. But this is, uh, 
this hunt, I kind of had a spot that I had found throughout the summer. It was a persimmon patch, and it had a heavy, heavy crossing coming coming to and from the persimmon patch. And I kind of only, I, I kind of went out on a whim. I didn't think it was going to be that great. I had a couple other spots, but I went in there blind the first morning of this hunt, and I had a nice mature. I mean, I had to set up my camera gear, put this, you know, my sticks and uh, predator platform, get everything set up. And by then I'm 10 minutes before daylight. I mean, I got in there like super early and, uh, anyways, I had this nice mature buck walk through there through a shooting lane, but just didn't have enough time to grab my bow and get everything set up. And, uh, ended up having a couple other decent deer walk through there, but that well, the last day of that hunt, we had the wind was about perfect and had this nice, I don't know, 70 inch, buck come up out of the palmetto flat behind me and uh watched him for about 20 minutes 25 minutes just tearing up some rubs just just going to town on on everything he was walking by <laughs> and then eventually he walked his way out but he was just from using milkweed i mean i knew right about where he was going to hit my scent luckily being in the saddle i was able to turn kind of bend way over and twist around. I mean, I don't even know how I'd been able to shoot it any other way because I had so much cover around me. I had to bend way down to get up to shoot underneath it. I was able to make a pretty good, I think it was about 15-yard shot on this deer. That was the second deer of the season. <clears throat> wow. So, so you're here at like less than a month into the season and you've already, you've already shot three times and, and recovered two bucks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not from Florida. I don't go to Florida a lot. I go there a little bit. I don't know a whole lot of people that are doing that. Now, I do know one guy, uh, Chase, um, Chase Prince from uh, Chasing Tales podcast. Right. I don't know if you're familiar with that with that podcast, but those mm-hmm. guys are, are buddies of mine, and and he's killed two bucks already. Um, one just right. straight up slammer um, that he killed on public land it. a couple of weeks ago. Um, so he's oh, one of the, nice. yeah, it's a good buck, but there's not just a ton of people that are having that kind of luck in, in Florida, um, especially right. during bow season. So, oh, I, that's for sure. So at this point are all your friends like, dude, I gotta, I gotta go hunt with you. Like I gotta get some of your good luck. Oh, I, I've heard it. I mean, they're, they're trying to find the horseshoe still to this day. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> um what did walt walter lee told me something he said uh uh he's got a lucky he's got a lucky horseshoe chase has got a lucky horseshoe up his butt or something like that that's that's <laughs> something about what they were telling me yeah that's, that's awesome that's about the... <laughs> so so it doesn't end there right um oh no no the luck doesn't run out per se so you shoot this buck and what was this the buck that you um you, the I guess just maybe a couple weeks ago that you shot, you sent me in a message or something yeah. like that. Yeah, it was actually I want to say the 29th, September 29th. It was on a Sunday evening, and I almost didn't even hunt the evening. I mean, I got to get ready for work in the morning. I got all this stuff to do, get back home, unpack, hunting stuff, all this stuff. And I said, you know what? I think I need to go back. And yeah, that was uh, that was on the evening. Okay. And. uh so, and I had the next archery hunt in the same WMA 
and I just, so after killing that deer on the last day of that hunt, I just ended, I ended up just taking my bottom two sticks down and leaving my stand for the next hunt. I said, I'll just come back in here in the morning. I'm sure it probably won't be worth much. You know, I done killed a deer, put all my scent in the area, dragging the deer, taking pictures and doing all this stuff. I'm like, ah, you know, it won't, maybe I'll just give it another shot. You know, this persimmon tree kind of seems pretty hot. I've done seen seven or eight deer come through here, checking on persimmons, you know, I was like, I'll give it a shot. So jump to the following weekend, Friday morning, I sneak in there, put my sticks on the tree, get up to my platform, get my camera gear set up. I'm sitting there. I mean, it took me quite a, quite a while. I think I got done 10, 15 minutes before daylight, getting my camera set up and everything. Turn my light off. I get settled down trying to, you know, cool down a little bit, keep from sweating as much. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, about that time, all I can hear is a deer run off blowing like crazy. I'm like, oh man, well, here goes that hunt. I'm not going to see anything. I'm like, oh well, you know, time, you know, it goes on. So I think about an hour after daylight or so, had a little spike come through, feeding along. Got some pretty good footage of him. And then about 10 minutes later, I had this doe come walking up to the edge of the, the clearing. So I grabbed my camera and I moved it around the tree. I said, oh, it's some pretty good, you know, footage, B-roll footage, whatever. And uh, something caught my eye in the same direction she came out of. And all I seen is just big, huge, swollen neck, six, seven-inch brow times, and nothing but rack. I mean, <laughs> I don't even know how <laughs> I kept it together near as good as I did. But it, you don't see that very often, even just, just to get a glance at it around here. And actually right. have it, I mean, he was probably 25 yards at the time, just staring at the doe, watching the doe, making sure that, that uh, you know, everything was good to go. The coast was clear. She fed around the persimmon tree. I don't know, it seemed like two hours, but, you know, it might have been two, 20, 30 seconds and finally worked her way around towards me. And then uh, she kind of went behind me. And I was a little worried because I had my bike hidden right underneath my tree, underneath some thick stuff. So this whole time, back in my head, I'm thinking, man, this, this doe's going to circle me, see me move, or, or or see my bike or something in the bushes. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready for her to just take off, and this buck be like, all right, forget it, I'm out of here. And uh, finally, he, he decides to start working his way, so I have my camera already ready, set, hit record. I'm standing there with the bow. He's walking around, and I notice there's a pretty big, thick chunk of palm, palm uh, cat. This is actual cabbage palms that's up high off the ground. It's kind of blocking his view from me. I can kind of see him working his way through there, so I go ahead and draw back so he doesn't catch that because I knew if he followed the same exact path as that doe that he was going to be at 10 yards from my tree, and I'm only about 10 feet off the ground. So it's really, really close to this deer, and this thing is highly – I don't want to say alert because he didn't know I was there, but he just – he was paying attention to everything. I mean, yeah. he, he, he took a long time before he walked out into the open. I mean, he I – mean, he, he, he was there for a while I and mean, you can see his nose working, his eyes, just big black beady eyes, just, just paying attention to every little sign that maybe might say, Hey, something's not right here. So, I mean, I didn't want to, I didn't want him to bust me. So I go ahead and draw back and I hold it back the entire time, but he was walking a pretty good little speed. I waited till he got right about 10 yards. He started walking broadside and the mistake I probably made was not stopping the deer. My thought in my head was this deer is that old, this close, you know, if I, if I make any noise, he's probably going to, he's, he's gone. Right. So 
I, I just tried to lead him a little bit, but he was one step a little bit too fast. I hit him a little too far back. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to find the deer. Wow. But, Are you there? Yeah, I, I can hear you now. Sorry, okay. you want to like you skipped out. Yeah. Yeah, so so you hit him you hit him a little bit far back. That's the last thing I heard. And you weren't able to find him. So Yeah. So well, go ahead. Yep. Yeah, so I so I I'm sitting here thinking I smoked this deer. I, I so I was like, you know what? It's, it kinda seemed like it was a little far back. I uh I figured, well, I might I'll get down in about twenty, thirty minutes and um and I'll just see what kind of blood I'm looking at and you know, so I, so I waited, went down, checked the blood. I'm like, yeah, it just, it just wasn't, it wasn't enough for me to think that I need to pursue chase, you know, trying to trail him. So I went ahead and I just took off to the truck and, uh, went and pulled up on the laptop, slowed it down, just kind of really get an idea on what I'm looking at. It looked like it was decent, you know, lo- uh, maybe a little bit of the back lung liver type shot. Mm-hmm. And then exit through the guts. He was kind of quartering towards me just a little bit. And then, uh, so I gave it about two and a half to three hours, went back, tried to find my arrow, couldn't, couldn't find the arrow. And then something, I was like, oh, well, you know what? We'll give it about another hour. We'll go eat some lunch. And just to be sure. And about that time is when I got a call, you know, somebody told me, oh, somebody, so-and-so that was, you know, parked back there. They just brought in a giant, you know, 115 inch buck. I'm thinking, oh man, I think my heart dropped to the floor <laughs> at that point. So, I mean, this is the biggest deer I've ever been in, in, you know, close range of, especially to shoot it with a bow. I mean, that, that was, this would have been my first Florida registry. I've never shot anything even close to that size. Wow. So, I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, and you, so you sent me this video of this buck and he's a good buck. Like what, what, what did you say? Like 115 inches or so? Yeah, he grossed 115. He netted about 110 and 5 eighths after deductions, but he's a 115 inch deer. He was a four and a half year old, and they don't they don't get that big around here yeah. <laughs> very often. I mean, at least in the area that I hunt in. Yeah. I know there are some other parts of Florida that do produce a little bit bigger racks, but this this particular area, it's it's hard to even see one at a distance at that at that size. Right. So 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 here's the deal, and. Um, if, if I say, if I say anything that I don't need to say, then we will edit it out. Um, but so you, you shoot this buck, um, less than desirable shot, but still a, a fatal shot, you know, a, a, right. gut, a gut shot is going to be fatal just about every time. Get a call that somebody else has checked in a giant buck and happens to look extremely similar to your, to your buck that you shot that was hunting in the mm-hmm. same area and to be continued. Is that kind of the, right. that's kind of the, well, the whole thing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, I mean, I, I kind of, that's pretty much it. I'll, that's, that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so, so at this point, that's, that's going to be all that, that we say. And it's all that we're really able to say. Cause, cause man, I want to see, I want to see this, uh, this story unfold and, um, and dude, like that, I cannot, I cannot imagine that type of feeling of, of seeing that and getting that kind of call of a guy that, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, 
but right. we're, we're gonna keep we're gonna keep everybody updated on this because um, it's an interesting scenario. Ha, have you ever heard of anything like this? No, not at all. I've I've never had any. Well, actually, I take that back. I think my uncle had a situation happen. He was hunting on just the other side of a riverbank from somebody, and he ended up not being able to find it, and they checked it in. But this specific scenario, I've never. Yeah. It, this is a, this is a little bit different. It, it, it it's and got it, a lot more detail to it. That's for sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And. And I think everybody listening to this would agree that that we want to see you be able to get this get this deer. And 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 here's the deal: like it, it is public land, and so there are certain things that happen on public land that uh, right. are you know kind of crappy situations. Um, this right. one, however, I, I'm interested to know kind of the the legality of it because you know like if if I'm sitting there, if I'm a deer hunter, and I see a buck, especially a buck of that quality come walking up and maybe it's got a hole in it and it's bleeding i'm probably still going to shoot it um because there's no telling there's no telling when or where that deer was shot at and if it's suffering you you know you want to kill it um right so so there could have been there could have been that aspect to it um oh yeah there's there's a there's a lot of different things that that can go into this and i'm just interested to see how it all how it all plays out i know there's i know there's some more details in there that um that we can share maybe at a later date but um man right. that is a heck of a season so far oh that, yeah definitely and see that's that, that's the thing i mean i would have no problem at all if that was the issue they came by came by the, this person he finished it off hey man congratulations on your deer that's fine but the whole the way it kind of laid out played out whatever however it happened yeah that's it's just uh, way it's, too shady. Yeah, it's not, it's not pointing to that type of situation. No, um, I mean, how about you know, hey man, you know, these people knew where I was hunting. They knew I was in the area. How about hey, you know, I shot this deer that looks like somebody shot. Look, you know, there's no point in looking for it no more. Here's your, you know, just letting you know we finished it off. <laughs> yeah, so simple, you know, there's a there's a similar situation of a guy that's from here. Um, it's from Alabama. His name's Tyler, and he was hunting on the, the same area that I hunt. And this guy kills big deer out here, and not a lot of people do. And um, mm-hmm. he shot a, a toad, dude, like a giant deer that was not – that he couldn't recover. Someone else recovered it uh, the next within the next couple days and, uh, and did not give it back to him. Um, they knew oh, wow. They knew that he had shot it. They didn't claim that they had shot it. They claimed that – they had just found this deer. He knew it was the same deer, and they did not give it back to him. They ended up European mounting it, mounting it, and I think it was like a 160, 170 inch deer. Um, oh wow! Big Woods, Alabama buck, and it, you know, luckily the guy shot the next day. He shot a, another giant, so um, it kind of uh, softened the blow a little bit. But still, you know, that's a that's a pretty that's a pretty rough thing to have happen, and uh, and I'm interested to see how it all plays out for you, man. That's uh, oh yeah, that's pretty crazy. So, so in Florida, you get—is it? Am I right that you get three buck tags in Florida? No, the new law that just happened this year—it—that's what I originally thought it was going to be. But it, you, it's five—it's five deer, two can be antlerless. So if you want to shoot five bucks, 
you shoot five bucks. But if you you know if you shoot a doe, then you're only down to four bucks. But you can only shoot two does. Okay. Animals. I gotcha. And that's private property, public, whatever, just in general. And for the you know until this year, you can shoot up to two deer a day all season long. Right. So. I mean, I'm curious to see. And I would be fine if it was only two or three deer, two or three bucks a year. I mean, that would really help a lot of the yeah. of the issues we have here already. I mean, mm-hmm. as far as, you know, the amount of deer and the, the quality of deer. Definitely. So, so obviously with this deer, this specific buck, you won't, you won't get the, you will probably never see the meat ever. Um, no, definitely not. What, I don't of, think I want to. Yeah, it's just true. <laughs> Um, will you, if you were to be able to get, if it were all to be resolved and you get this deer back, what does that, what does that look for as far as your tags or do you even know? I don't know, to be honest with you. Um, th- that would all depend on just, just how it turns out. I, I really don't know. Man. Seems how it's going to be well after the hunt. So I, I, I really don't know, to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Either Man. way, it's fine with me. <laughs> I, I will drop two tags for that deer, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It, that's, you don't you don't get very many. I mean, my dad's hunted. He's a good hunter. He's hunted his entire life, and he's only got two good Florida bucks that that make the registry, which is anything over 100 inches around here. Right. So that ought to tell you something. <laughs> Definitely. Well, man, I I am I'm going to keep everybody updated on this story, and uh, I'm going to ask if you would uh, okay. just keep me updated on it. Like that's that's a pretty big deal, and man, it sounds like you've got Florida figured out. Uh, you know, maybe one day you lose that lucky horseshoe up your butt, but um, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to venture out to say with the amount of work that you put into it and the. Uh, you know, being a student of the woods and a student of whitetails, it sounds like you are. That uh, it's probably gonna, it's probably gonna stay with you, and uh, I'm, I'm super excited to watch it all unfold. No, I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping so myself. Man, I. That's for sure. I wish you the best of luck uh, through the rest of the season, and uh, man, I hope you kill two more bucks just like that. <laughs> Same to you, Parker. I appreciate it, man. Same to you. All right, guys, thank you so much again for listening to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, um, it was my pleasure to bring this to you. Um, Big huge shout-out to Nick Chandler for coming on the show and talking about that situation. So um, not only has he had a great season, he's had an interesting season. And we're going to be keeping up with this story that you heard about the buck that was not recovered um, last week. As it kind of unfolds, I'm going to be trying to update as much as I can for you guys who are interested in and uh, how that goes but it's an unfortunate situation um just goes to show that it really does pay off um big time to um just be a nice person when you're in the woods this is a, a an unfortunate deal and um man it's a uh, I, I i really hope the best comes out of it for nick and uh, i know he worked hard for that buck and um i'm hoping it all works out for him yeah, that is gonna be that's gonna be it. I know you guys enjoy Florida content. We always get a lot of really good fee- feedback whenever we talk about guys who, or when we talk to guys who have been successful in Florida. So I know you guys are gonna like this one. Um, I know I sure enjoyed that conversation with Nick. Dude knows how to deer hunt, and uh, he's doing it in probably the hardest state in the uh, United States. If I had to, if I had to guess, I would say Florida is probably the hardest state to hunt in the u.s and uh, the guy gets it done man so um 
yep, check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, at Southern Ground Hunting. Check out the YouTube channel. I am, right now, as I'm recording this, I am about to leave and head to Tennessee. It is about almost 11 o'clock, and I am uh, I'm just got done packing up, and I'm headed to Tennessee. I'm going to hunt all day tomorrow. Uh, it's only about an hour and a half from my house, so I'm going to hunt all day tomorrow and um, hopefully come back with a deer. So if you are going to be out in the woods, remember that God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.